Welcome back to the Interjections Podcast. Can you guess what our subject is going to be today? I know the listeners can't hear, but we're all wearing brightly colored masks, uh, blue, red, purple, and orange. So it's highly appropriate for what we're going to be talking about. Usually we talk about uh, movies from the 90s. That's why we've subtitled this The Undiscovered Decade. And uh, we're going through the 1990s. And this month, we're going to be talking mainly about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm Tristan Moore, one of the four co-hosts. I'm Jim. We don't, need, we don't need to do this. Yeah. Time. We, can, we can take these. Yeah. Corey. Hi. And I'm Michelangelo. <laughs> sure, buddy. Oh, come on, Jeff. Oh, okay, wait, for your cover. Anyway, no, whatever. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just. It, I went through so much hell to get this on my face. I'm not taking it off now. <laughs> you actually look good I'm, with it on. I'm committing. Like the dude from the Goonies. So. I'm on. I'm, I'm um, doing this. You mean you're I now? don't. I don't break character until we do the DVD commentary. Let's do yeah. this. <laughs> so welcome again. This is our uh, third episode. We're going through month by month through the '90s and. Uh, this is March, and we started realizing that there are going to be months where there are multiple movies that are pretty important. And this one is very important to all of us, as we were, uh, what, five, four, three, and two when this came out. And so this colored our childhood because it was a huge franchise, cartoons. It was originally comics in the 80s. In fact, uh, as this comes out, it's around the anniversary of Mirage Studios, which was Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman's uh, comic company they made up. And the reason they called it Mirage was because they didn't actually have a studio. They just wrote these comics on like pieces of paper they had and went to conventions and sold them. So, so it was a shell Mirage. company is what you're saying? Yeah, that was nice. Was this a tax dodge? <laughs> <laughs> shell, shell, no Might have been. It's a, it's a half shell company. Uh, yeah. Ah. Uh. So this is around the time also when the cartoon premiered uh, back in 87. So it's the 37th anniversary of the, the comic company, 32nd anniversary of the uh, cartoon premiering. But back in, it was March 27th, I think, that it came out. Uh, March 30th, 1990 was the date that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles premiered. So why don't we get into that. There are two other movies we're going to talk about, but this one is the most important. So, the most. Um, I don't know if you want me to keep talking. I feel like I'm commanding the whole thing, but Well, let's make- let's let's start with how how old were you guys when you first saw the movie? I must have seen it in theater, so I would have been like 4 or 5. Actually, I think no. I saw it in theaters as well. I don't know if I did cuz my first yeah. movie is Rocketeer and that's 91. So I don't think I saw anything until I was five. I definitely saw this in theaters. And I think uh, not long after that, the Outer Shell um, concert tour was enacted. I, I remember getting my poster signed by the Turtles when they visited the mall. Oh, really? Yeah. I, um, I still had I have a VHS still of the Out of the Shell tour. Yeah, I had the video cassette recently. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I saw this in theaters. I was about four. Nice. Was that your first movie? No. 
they they had re-released uh, Snow White around that time, so I think that was the first thing I saw in the theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did Pinocchio when that re-released, but that was after Rocketeer, so. Yeah. What about you, Jimmy? And when did you first see it? I was about four or five. Pretty sure I saw it on VHS. Yeah, I must have seen it probably on VHS. the first time. FHE released it. Yeah, we I actually was... rewatched this on VHS. I found a VCR. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's how we watched it. That was kind of trippy. So the reliving those glory days. Yeah. It was like VHS on an HD TV. That's if there's no vertical tracking, you're not watching it right. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're literally watching it on one of the things that those hoodlums are stealing in the beginning of the movie. Right. So good. I was 32, by the way. <laughs> The first time I saw this movie, <laughs> I had not really? seen. Wow! I I, I had seen Didn't the cartoon see? when I was a kid. Like I had all the action figures and stuff, but somehow I had never seen the movie. I thought we showed it to you. You may have. There were um, some yeah, things that I forgot early in my youth. Well, we had a lot of wild and crazy drunk youthful yeah. nights. We might have turned it on and so, forced Jeff to watch it while drunk. So it's it's. So like, Totally possible. He could he could have seen it a lot sooner. Just doesn't remember because, like you know, we were just, we were we we were bad. They're just snippets that just come back to haunt me every now and then. <laughs> um, but like yeah. Sardos. So I was gonna ask which our favorite turtle is, but I think that was apparent from what masks we're wearing. But for the listeners, mine was Leonardo. Mine was Donatello. Mine was Raphael. And I got picked last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of just defaulted. Sorry, buddy. All right. In watching the movie, I realized I do kind of identify with with Michelangelo. So, you know. What'd you have last night for dinner? Right. I I had several pizzas, several <laughs> kinds of pizzas. Several pizzas. Uh, yes. <laughs> But not not as good as like you know the cartoon pizza where it's like the cheese is just oozing. Yeah, I wish. Oh, they had this this like six cheese pizza just in hopes that it would be like that, but in reality, it just the grease just leaked through everything. As I say, there's a glory shot in the movie where a uh, slice gets flung on the splinter's head, and the cheese is just dripping down his head. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone basically knows the the premise of the movie uh, because they knew the cartoons or they've just heard about the turtles. But it's a basic origin story, and it starts out with April O'Neil. This was Judith Haig in uh, the first one. It actually she's replaced by Paige Turco for the sequels because apparently she complained about the six day work week and how much violence was in the turtles movies. <laughs> So they just came. Oh man. Yeah. Which is actually really tame after you rewatch it. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, there's a lot more violence in movies these days. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. I was I was thinking exactly that. What was this PG, I think? No, the PG, yeah. Which you get away with a lot more in PG. Yeah. A lot of dams. Yeah. Yeah. That was a formative thing for all us five year olds to hear Raphael go damn into the sky. And talking like a teamster. Yeah. Actually, that's another uh, fun fact. Josh Peace, who plays Raphael and does his voice, uh, he actually was the one that came up with the Brooklyn accent, and he's the one that like, helped develop his anger towards everything. 
And so the Raphael we know today, because that's kind of what they took for all the other TV shows uh, and the sequels and such, he is Josh Pace. Like he developed that characterization. So it's amazing. Yeah. See, I, I honestly, to, to Corey's point, I genuinely thought that they couldn't find an actor and just had to like they hired one of the grips to just do Raphael's <laughs> voice. <laughs> Might as well. I think he is from Brooklyn, so it's funny. At one point, I thought Raphael was going to start loading trucks and be like, "I'm part of the local two one two, okay?" I'm just blowing off some steam. Um. She was, a, you know, it's weird watching it in high def now because I had only seen it on a VHS format like you have. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, just a weird side note, that how freckled Judith Haig was. Didn't, That's didn't realize that. Yeah. It's true. I, I also, know, speaking of like high def, I noticed that it is a very dark movie, like just literally dark, mm-hmm. probably to hide the prosthetics and stuff or to go with the ninja. It was also very yeah. low budget. This I I heard oh, yeah. he was trying to like compete for the Batman money. It's a third of the budget that Batman was, but it made quite a bit. I'll until get um later, until Blair Witch, it was the highest grossing independent movie. Yeah, it made what one hundred and thirty million total. Wow. I was going to go into the box office after we did the three films, but I might as well. I mean, to be and fair, one hundred thirty-five total. It it was the biggest March opening and it had the biggest March weekend until 97 when Liar Liar came out. Wow. So, and now it's the 89th best March weekend because yeah. everything's so inflated. There's I was going to say with inflation, it might be higher probably. <laughs> probably. But yeah. It got what, uh, 25 million that week. Huge. <laughs> It's weird. Up until the uh, turtles are introduced, it almost feels like a, a gritty, like Michael Winter Death Wish movie. Yeah, right. You know it, what? It definitely. It feels like. It, it definitely has that feel of a kids' movie that was written by adults. Like yeah. some of the references that are in there. Yeah. Like, let me. I got to pull up my notes here. I was gonna say there was um, a couple impressions that Michelangelo does that kids even from that era wouldn't know. Like James Cagney. I didn't know who James Cagney was when I first watched the movie. That's probably where I first heard of him. Right. Yeah. The fact that like he does it so often that one of the other turtles is just like, oh no, not Cagney. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. The great James Sato played Shredder. Uh, which we see coming up throughout the whole movie. Uh, they they tease him and then they show him and then we learn the backstory and everything. Um, he was in a bunch of things, including Lost. He's uh, Pierre Ching, I think is his character. He's the mysterious scientist that starts to help unravel the mystery of the island. So uh, I was very excited when he showed up because I'm like, I think I know that guy. And his introduction is so grand. Yeah. The shot the crane shot that they use, um, the costume looks fantastic. His voice is booming. It's it's I, one of the best villain introductions of the '90s. I turned to Jimmy and I was like, "What's with that cape, though?" Because it was like over yeah. his blades. His yeah, like you were blades. confused as like, like, "How's he gonna get it off?" You gotta have like people put it on before he comes off. Yeah. It looks so like the sunscreen you would have in your car. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like those were probably actually made of metal, so the cape was more of a safety feature, so that when he's walking <laughs> past all the crew, he doesn't actually slash yeah. someone. Or maybe like 
you know, the whole theme of ninja is supposed to be like, you know, discreet. He like, like he, he wants, he wants to be flashy. So he's like, yeah, like he's that. like the anti ninja. Or yeah. the, you know, he, he knows he's the best so he can do whatever he yeah, wants. So he's flaunting it. It's like, yeah. dude, that's not ninja. Knock it off. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I also kids as a human shield. That's true. Bitch. That is a little weird. Like, yeah. He's the Pied Piper, and he's like in this warehouse on on uh, Roosevelt Island, basically. Right. Uh, it's a little weird that he's got a bunch of teenagers. Oh yeah, with no. his life partner uh, uh, Tatsu. <laughs> yeah, no, they were definitely life partner. <laughs> yeah. It's like we can't live no. this life in Japan. Yeah. We must come to America, start anew. That's why Shredder's so that fabulous. Is, that is interesting. Yeah. Like, look at him. He looks fabulous. Yeah, the purple. It's a hot take. Yeah. Like, they came to America for maybe, a reason. Maybe maybe he didn't kill. Uh, oh, what's her face? Because he was in love with her. Oh my and God. Wanted, um, uh, Splinter's master for himself. You see all those kids. They adopted them because yeah. you know it's not legal. So they're like living their life yeah. the best that they could. He bought them off the Wayfair website, guys. I was, I was not expecting Shredder fan fiction today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is an LGBT promo movie. I mean, shred fiction. Colors. Yeah, yeah. So, real, real quick, I don't, you know, I mean, of course, this this movie is so super cartoony and they do like all all of the the news tropes and the the newspaper headlines but one one of my favorite things was in the very beginning of the movie the news reporter's just like you know there's such and such crime rate going on and things are things are looking weird who we gonna call yeah yeah they did they did like, ghostbusters they literally just ripped ghostbusters i mean for a second. Why not? Okay. Oh yeah, no. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, like, but I, 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 I also love that. Mm-hmm. Like, as things are getting worse, there's just a New York Post that just has a headline. It just says it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite in that beginning sequence is when like the lady like turns to say this crime's getting crazy, and then turns back and her TV's gone. Right. <laughs> that was my favorite when I was a kid. Actually, oh, forever. The the TV's just getting yoinked out of. The yeah. shot, I love it. Yeah. If you notice, uh, Danny, Which... who is the the chief of the station's son, who we follow through the whole movie, he's one of the per- people raiding. So right. you don't realize until later. I didn't pick it up when I was a kid, <clears throat> until then. And a, and a couple of those thugs you see around. Who's the head thug? Oh, who's the Mr. head thug? Mr. Sam Rockwell. Oscar winner Sam Rockwell. Yeah, Jimmy loves when I point this out. Apparently, yeah. I do it every time. Yeah, every time, never, never stops. Did like, you know? always forgets that he tells me. Did you so know like, Scott Wolf is in this? <laughs> I do that. Justin just, Hammer. There are five big actors that have cameos in this. There are a couple of people that are um, thugs, including one that we've worked with, uh, Joseph D'Onofrio, who was in our uh, Who's Jenna movie. He's one of the thugs that Casey beats up in the park. And I think the uh, other is Skeet Ulrich. He's somewhere in the movie. Um, and then... Scott you said Wolf. big actors. Yeah, I know. Well, actors, people... Wow. Uh, and it's the 90s. He's still big. He's yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Scott Wolf, who would go on to do Party of Five in a few years, he is the one that Casey's like... Or, or I think Tatsu's like, where'd they go or something? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What was the other one? Oh, Rick Gomez is in there. I don't know which one he is, but he's a South Plainfield kid, which all three of us are from. Uh, he ended up being in Band of Brothers and a couple other things, Sin City. We'll see, dude. Come on, you're the those nerd. You those know. Those are the two he's in that yeah. we know of. So, um, What else? There was a big actor. This is a fun fact. Corey Feldman voices Donatello. He yeah. did it for $1,500 total because he thought it was just going to be like a quick cartoon paycheck. And this movie made $135 million. They renegotiated for those sequels. I think. I don't. I forgot to look up if he's in the sequels, but I think he. If he is, he may must have made more. I think he is. We'll find out next. He's season. at least in the second oh. one. I'm pretty sure. The sequels in like a year, so we'll we'll talk about that in a few months. Really? It was like um, the next year. March ninety. Me. Oh, wow. On this rewatch, I felt like Elias Coteus is the MVP of this movie. He's without a doubt the best part. When I was a kid, because we watched a bunch of movies that he was in, um, but this was easily the best. See, I I just want to see the movie where where he and uh, oh my god, what's his name, Elliot from um, SVU. Oh, Stabler. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's his Chris name? Mahoney. Yeah. Yeah. Chris or Chris Mahoney um, and Maloney. Elias Coteus are like evil twins of each other well that's the joke because maloney's in the first two harold and kumars but then he was unavailable because he was filming like law and order or something and then they just got elias Coteus and didn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> so perfect um yeah he uh is a lot of fun there's some weird stuff that oh they're trying to find these thugs i don't know if you can hear that police siren um Prime wave yeah he just kind of accepts everything so easily. That scene where he and Raphael meet up for the first time. He's just like, oh, you're well, wearing green makeup. I don't well, like what, I thought it was funny. I'm like, I love how... Hate punk is wearing green makeup. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the sigh was, was the, the thing that he... The th- sigh was the thing that he commented on. Yeah. Like, not the fact that... What is this? Yeah. An ancient Japanese farming equipment? What are you doing walking around with it? <laughs> He was a teamster too. He's, <laughs> He's doing a lot of shoulder stuff. Yeah. Pa- Patrick Elias Coteus. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the best part of the movie, I think, though, is when they go to the farmhouse and he and April finally finally relate. The turtles are like meditating and learning how to be brothers and stuff. But that's, that's the funniest very... part of the two of them act. There was a very um, force ghost moment with the campfire. I had forgotten about that, yeah. Yeah, it's um, very Star Wars-esque. They definitely were like, we don't have the Splinter Puppet, we're just going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and also, like, they want to reference Star Wars. I mean, right. but then again, Star Wars was referencing Japanese samurai movies. That's and, true. Everything, you know. Itself. It all comes back Teenage to Japanese Ninja samurai Ninja, movies. Oh, yeah. Ninja Turtles. Like, yeah, but like, <clears throat> let, let's talk about, just for a moment, uh, one of my other favorite parts, the the... The Lost Boys Kid Nightclub. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. passing out nicotine. <laughs> right. 
I just wanted to bring that up. As, oh, as, oh, as, yeah. like, I didn't know. I didn't know if you were oh, going to do like, like your favorite part where where Danny just wanders off. No, it was just like one of the chained up in the corner the whole it, time. It was one of those things. Like I wish that existed when we were. You know, it was like eight on the break on crack. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we were like that's an arcade. arcade There's no half pipes in pool. there. No, there was no. But yeah, there were like half pipes, and I'm like, is this connected to another nightclub? Like, I feel like this is and, like the kids look like Hansel's hideout in Zoolander. Yeah, right. Um, it's actually Somewhere the else. lair in, or actually, it's Dino Hatton in Super Mario Brothers. They would do oh, two years I can't ago. wait to talk about that, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's oh. going to be interesting. It's also in uh, The Crow. It's a nightclub. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I never saw The Crow, so we're going to have to oh, we're gonna have to talk about that when that comes up. Um, so I don't know what it looks like, but that's just – a lot of this was shot in North Carolina, so that's an old like rubber factory. No, it's a cement factory that they just found nearby the farmhouse. And a lot of the city stuff is Wilmington, North Carolina, I believe. I forget exactly which city. I know it's North Carolina. Um, my favorite part of that scene is when there's a dude just like lounging on top of arcade machines. Like that can't be comfortable. But he's just like watching other people. He can't even see the screen from where he's sitting. So what are you doing? You know what they dealt extras? They're like having a bit of business. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's yeah, great. I mean, go. Sam Rockwell kills it. One of his first roles, so. How do we feel about uh, the animatronics after all these years? That they was going to be my other right. Well, that was going to be my other it. thing. Like it's still like a, a a feat of puppetry. Yeah, this is the only part it looked a little uh, chintzy was the origin story with the little Ooh. rat puppet. Do you know yeah. how they did this? I actually looked this up. The um, it's it's filmed in like a slower frame rate. And it was done by the second unit director, Brian Henson, which is Jim's son. Yeah. Uh, so they, they tried to make it look like an old movie. So it actually took like twice as long to make and it was very frustrating apparently. But I got a question about that scene. Why is it that when uh, Splinter's describing the origin story, he's against a black background like he's doing a 60 Minutes interview? <laughs> I think it's to cover the budget. <laughs> it was, the, it was the, to cover the operators. Yeah, the, yeah, the old stuff was um, done. He looks like that. he's talking to Mike Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think it, they had three operators on Splinter, actually, including uh, Elmo's big guy. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Clash. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know. yeah let's, let's not go further. Um, um, <laughs> I, I thought it was funny how... Uh, one of the first things that Shredder says to Splinter is he asks of, of the turtles, who are these freaks? He's asking his giant mutant rat friend. Yeah. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. <laughs> um, and you're the one wearing like a metal mask and knives on your head. And yeah. have a like, fabulous outfit too, yeah, you know, by the way. Yeah, we're all freaks in this. Right. Everyone's a freak. It's New York City in the 90s. Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, that subway was way too clean to have been an actual New York City subway. Well, it's yeah. definitely a set. Um, not the one that well, yeah. was in at first. That is actually in New York. That's one of the few scenes they shot there. Which one? Um, the one? They did City Hall, and the one they filmed April getting attacked by the, the 
five foot clan mm-hmm. and Raphael rescue rescues her that's like right by city hall really okay it uh, it's one i stand corrected then that's it um but and central park the stuff with casey and joe d'onofrio um that's like it for new york but that guy that taps her on the shoulder and like hey with a foot that is donatello's operator there hmm. I, this is the other thing i love to point out to jimmy um all four turtles get to show up as humans elsewhere in the film donatello's that guy leonardo is the first thug that attacks her in the first scene when the sigh falls and she takes it um michelangelo this is my favorite he's the one that hands the pizza to michelangelo he's the domino's delivery. oh yeah that was yeah, tripping cool. when you told me cool. that i was like yeah. well that's kind of so he's talking oh, himself like... because they're recording their voices later yeah um so he's probably not also the hand he's the one handing it to whatever other guy is there but he's that's usually crazy. michelangelo and then uh, Raphael is the cab driver that almost, or he's the passenger in the back of the ta- cab that almost hits Raphael as he's running. Um, so that's kind of cool. They get a little thing. And uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. is the one that does all the choreography for the fights inside Donatello. He's in the second movie man. pretty prominently. And he's Kino in the second film. So we'll get to talk about him in a couple episodes. Uh, uh, he is one of the better parts of this series. I, I love this second one more. So I, I agree. We'll see, we'll see when it comes back up because we're rewatching. But. Yeah, it's been a little while. It's been at least a decade for me, but I love both of them. The third one's the tough one. So yeah, uh, I still like the third one. Just great villain in the third movie, though. Yeah, yeah, good, good English character actor. But um, I have to say. Um, for guys in suits, the choreography is surprisingly fluid. Oh, yeah. They probably had limited visibility, no peripheral vision. But for them oh, yeah. to pull off some of those moves, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, there's some tricks they use because, like, they spin Michelangelo on his back so that they can hit people. They, they must have utilized the confines of the structures. I was thinking, know? in particular, the rooftop fight. Oh, the Raphael one? When they're intercutting. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's good stuff. That might be my second favorite scene. That whole sequence, they crash through and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely holds <laughs> up. There was a used antique store in Plainfield, the town above where we all grew up, uh, that was called like Second Time Around as well. And so I swore for years as a child that they had filmed in Plainfield. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get it. At least and then burned it down. Yeah, I was like, how how did they rebuild it and stuff? So I was I was real impressed that someone just happened to have the same name. Right. So uh, Hope April renters insurance covers ninja attacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's the big question. Has nostalgia influenced our opinion on these on this movie at all? How comparing uh, yeah. it from then to now? That's a big question for Jeff, because he's the one that watched it like now. Yeah. Well, why would I mean, okay. Having not seen it as a child when it like, you know, in the age group that it's meant for, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it holds up as a, as a technical feat, but you know, the writing, like I said, it was, it felt like it was a kid's movie written by adults. Like there were grapes of wrath references. I'm like, what? What are you going to get this? 
and like debates debates about Gilligan's Island and moonlighting. Yeah, was <laughs> like, yeah. um, Hose it was it was definitely fun. Uh, you know, I I watched it with a nine year old who oh, seemed cool. to enjoy it. So you know, I had that perspective, like yeah. just that out of body experience of. I wonder if this is how I would. But you know, compared to what they're watching nowadays, anyway, it's like the whole time he was just like, "This is weird." Yeah, it's slower <laughs> like this... than stuff these days. Oh Everything's yeah, flashy now. Yeah, which yeah. Isn't a complaint it, either. Right, well, it can be, but it's and slower because be. you like you got. You got dudes in suits and animatronics and like they shot it really dark to hide all the seams in the circuitry and yeah you know I mean it the technology better now we could probably have animatronics that work for the actors better now and, yeah. and they wouldn't even use it it's, they just do the the Andy Circus motion yeah. capture you know I yeah I I will say though the 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 romantic tie between Casey Jones and April like being cheered on by the turtles is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a kids movie yeah. <laughs> which is also odd because they're <laughs> lusting for her before that right like, oh she's so fucking hot she kissed me on the cheek right what they're am lusting. I gonna do with my gigantic prehensile penis right and oh, then they're like <laughs> but then like Raphael's cursing at cartoons ninja kick the damn rabbit right I'm like what yeah. So it's, I mean, you know, I'm I'm watching it from a technical standpoint, and it's great, and you know, the writing is okay. It feels like a lot of it was improvised, honestly. Like they probably were just like just riff on each other about impressions, and we'll yeah. just make the puppeteers stay on their toes. Yeah, I'm sure the story is very um, solid. So I think that's yeah. the part that was most written. Apparently, the two screenwriters. There was a guy that did one script, and then they had the other guy almost completely rewrite it. So I don't know what they have from that first draft. Yeah. But they apparently never met <laughs> until the premiere. Splinter's backstory. That happens a lot, though. With yeah, I mean, drafts. there's always a past that goes on uh, for big studio movies. I mean, this is independent, but, like, apparently that first draft guy, he was working in, like, the engineering field and was like, you know what I want to do? I'd rather be a screenwriter and just quit and start working for sitcoms and like he was a big wonder years writer mm. and he ended up uh getting this job out of the blue and i think killed it but i don't know what aspects are from his part uh but i think the story's solid and they're, if they're ad-libbing i mean it just kind of fits their characters anyway yeah it's what we expected from them so it's great um i love it but yeah, I mean, well, then, same question back to you guys. Like, does has your nostalgia for it repainted how you perceive it now? Having enjoyed yeah. it as a cartoon flick when you were a kid, and then having gone through film school and working in the industry and looking at this now. I mean, comparing from what I remember from when I was a kid and what I know now, like a lot went like over my head because there's it's like just stuff you didn't know as a kid. You just saw like Ninja Turtles fighting and doing woo ah, and that was fun. That's all you need. And yeah, that's all you needed as a kid. So like always, right. ex always got excited for that. Yeah. Uh, but then now that I'm like way older and I've seen it like many times over the years, like rewatching it like into my teen years, early twenties now, 
blah, blah, blah. Um, that um, you notice things that you didn't notice before and then like you forget them, then re-notice, then forget them, then re-notice. And I'm pretty sure we, we noticed something new. What was the thing? I know you said I, it's like I'm blanking. Yeah. It was a shredder. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> down. All right. There's always something new that you notice. Like the guy I noticed on top of the yeah. arcade machines. Yeah. I think that was my thing, but you definitely said something. I think it was, uh, yeah. it was like verbal. Something, Some, verbal, something, yeah. something somebody said. I was like, was you it? know what? Shredder's okay, horrific. A good death example is the, the Casey the Jones, where truck. like uh, Casey Jones closer to the end when they was like, "Oh, you must be a claustrophobic," oh, and he's yeah. like, "I never even looked at dude like that." It was like, "Yes, there's that, a homophobic like, joke." In yeah, this. there's a homophobic right. joke in there. But like uh, that one, I always like kind of more or less remember. But like, yeah, I didn't get but it. But there was another. Kid, there was another one like that, and it's bugging me. Yeah, it's something at the house, I think. I forget. Well, maybe I'll find it. Uh, I okay. wanted to say there has not been a time I have, there's, there's never been a time from before Turtles. Like, I've just always known it. And the cartoon came out when we were one, basically, before Jeff was even born. So I don't know that I can. Well, I got date Jeff like that. It's what well, we do it every time. Uh, the, like it's it's my favorite franchise of anything more than say Star Wars or Jurassic wow. Park or anything else. So I don't more than Jurassic it. Park, really? Yeah. yeah, I mean I knew of it before Jurassic Park. So I mean, yeah, um, plenty of people did. I will forgive a lot of things that they've done. I've read a ton of the comics. Um, like these two sequels that came out from Michael Bay, they're not great, but I still yeah. like them because they're turtles. So what I'm thinking, like just because of the nostalgia. Like just getting to see Donatello do something interesting or Leonardo be like wistful. It's, you know, that's what I want. <clears throat> and I often uh, relate things to turtles if there's like four people, uh, because you can always be like, that's the hothead. That's the leader that wants yeah. to keep everyone together. That's the jokester. And that's the smart one, you know? So. <clears throat> I need depth from my anthropomorphized reptiles. Yeah. So I think it's like the basis for a lot of my entertainment enjoyment, actually. Um, so this is the beginning of my love of cinema, <laughs> weirdly enough. Tristan Moore origins. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Corey? Um, I have to say, I haven't seen it in about 20 years, if not more. Um, I think it's lost some of its luster in that intervening time. Uh, I think, like you said, I think I like the sequel a bit better. I think they improved. Not that they improved on the animatronics. The animatronics are a, a little more jerky in the second movie. I think they're them, but just older. <laughs> I think the budget was higher in the second movie for sure. And um, I know that they're not Bebop and Roxade by Toka and Razar. And uh, I think Shredder's more menacing in the second movie. I just think they improved on things a little more in the second movie exponentially. Um, the human characters are a bit more balanced. Uh, some of the humor in this is, I know it's sophomoric. I can forgive it that. Um, it's but, not just uh, dumb heart jokes either, so. Right. Not until the third movie did we get to that stupid stuff. Willie, yeah. Right. The wet willy stuff. Um, actually, in the second movie, they do have a lot of exaggerated cartoonish sound effects, if I recall. 
Um, this one oh, had. This? There was a whistle in some somewhere. Or no, yeah, was, you're right. That was, During one of the fight scenes, there's a uh, there's like almost like yeah. a slide whistle at some point. Um, yeah, which you know. I but I do think as a uh, as a starting point for the uh, the turtles, they clearly illustrate the different personalities amongst the four, and they do it in a short amount of time. Whereas in a modern day movie, they might have belabored it with a really long prequel sequence or origin story, and he does it. They do it succinctly in that one um, flashback sequence, if you want to call it. Yeah, I think it's um, smart to have them tell April because then they're telling us. In case you didn't know, they also right. just kind of assume you know because the cartoon's so huge right now. Right, right. It's a rare occasion where you don't need a backstory. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I was very grateful for Splinter's backstory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, oh, right. That's how this rat came into his it's current also situation. It's different from every other iteration it has been and also closer to the comics and the TV show. So there have been so many different ways their origin story happens. But that's okay. <laughs> Just, you know, your stereotypical canister of radioactive waste in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, the, like you were saying, in the Michael Bay one, they have the need to be a little more expository with stuff like that, which is needless in a kid's movie. You don't really need to go into those unnecessary details. Yeah. Kids aren't there for that. Adults don't <laughs> appreciate it. It just slows down the pace. Yeah. Um, to that point, too, those sequels... Uh, this is the only film in which Shredder actually does any martial arts. He just kind of like barely after them in the second one. He's not oh. in the third, the fourth one. He's not in. If and I have a huge criticism really about this movie and the second movie is that he's defeated way too easily. Yes. And, and I, again, it's a kid's fun. movie. They can't get too graphic with the violence. Yeah. I don't know, that garbage truck thing was pretty... Well, okay, yeah, his his demise is plenty explicit. We were okay with that. We were all accomplices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all let it happen. Horrifying. Um, Let me see. I have a couple of fun facts before we wrap this part up. Um, Apparently, the kid Tatsu beats to death actually is supposed to die, and they added in after test screenings his like he- heavy breathing and they're like, oh, he's all right, he's all right. Um, so that's a little dark. Um, the director, Steve Barron, was uh, very interested in making it darker and they kicked him out before post-production, which was with uh, Sally Mink, who did all of Tarantino's films until she passed away back in 2010. Uh, so Tarantino was quoted as saying like he was real excited to work with the woman that did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which is crazy um, but she like fixed up what he had tried to do to the film so I think we need to give a lot of credit to her for making release the Baron that, cut release the Baron is cut. that why the bride is in yellow in Kill Bill <laughs> she's in a jumpsuit he just wanted her to be like it's his violent fantasy version of April O'Neil <laughs> uh, Judith Haig refused to wear a jumpsuit they tried to put her in one and she's like no thanks <laughs> um, which I think is part of why they kicked her out again uh, I have an interesting story for her she was she just told this on like a 30th anniversary thing recently she was um, working on this movie Cadillac Man as well at the same time and so that stars Robin Williams, and she would go and do that during the week, 
and then sneak off and do like reshoots on the weekends and he, he, she would come back to set and he'd be like where are you going you're like working every day what are you doing kind of hang out yeah uh and she's like i'm doing this movie it's not it's not gonna be that big it's not it's it's this comic book thing there's like these four turtles and he's like you're doing teenage Mutant. oh my god are you april holy shit and so he's he got real excited and started like teaching her tips on how to like touch up her uh, her performance and everything and he was a huge fan of turtles apparently can i be crying oh, oh, oh. i'd like to be crying the hero yeah. oh. ron williams helped personify april uh, i'm furry enough can i be splinter oh, oh. <laughs> it's too late i guess um what else pizza hut had a huge marketing campaign and i remember this and they served I, dominoes in the movie <laughs> i was huge in a pizza hut. yeah they're like doing dominoes all the time they missed an opportunity there i don't know what they were doing okay. um there there was here's some other options for Casey and April. They were thinking of Lou Diamond Phillips, Emilio Estevez, Keeper Sutherland, uh River Phoenix, oh. uh Johnny Depp, uh, who we'll get into next one. Uh and here's your favorite, Corey, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Because they must have been coming off of Bell and Ted and they probably thought they were goofy. Yes, my Lou Diamond and Keanu sound like good choices. Yeah, I would, and it'll get better for the last one of April. Uh, there's Jennifer Beals, Marissa Tomei, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Melanie Griffith, Sean Young, Batman Connection, uh, Brooke Shields, and Winona Ryder. So how these are cool all better choices. Keanu and Winona in this instead of like Dracula. My that married couple. Yeah. Um, and here's a really interesting thing before it got brought to New Line Cinema, which ended up distributing it, and it kind of made them because they really only had the Nightmare no, series that didn't make them. I just said Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Street made them, yeah. But they were they were most known for doing like this horror franchise, so this this brought them up and everything, it um, elevated them to another yeah, status. Uh, apparently, Roger Corman's company wanted to make it with four comedians just wearing shells on their back and painted green and it would have been Gallagher, Sam Kinison, Bobcat Goldthwaite, and Billy Crystal. I want want this movie now. (laughs) Um, If it looked anything like that Fantastic Four movie he did, it would have been fantastic. I mean, that was around the same time, right? That's 1990. Uh, Oh, can we talk about that, please? Yeah, I think we will when it comes up. Um, they were, they, Baxter Stockman, who I know is also a fan favorite, like Bebop and Rocksteady, was originally in the drafts and stuff. They just, I don't know in what way, it just says he was in there somewhere. Would he have looked like the Cronenberg fly? I wish. I don't know, but that that's actually one of the few parts I enjoy of the Michael Bay sequels. Tyler Perry is actually pretty good. Um, and one of the early ideas was that they were going to animate them like the cartoon and have it be like Roger Rabbit. I might have been okay with that. That'd have been cool. It might have worked. Um, I think that's all the fun facts I have. So, yeah. Oh, um, there are two other anchors, and I heard it this time because I was listening for it. April is talking at one point to another anchor named May, and they reference another anchor at another station named June. So, no, uh, Vern, though. Oh, was that the thing? No, that wasn't the thing. That wasn't Damn it. Thing, no. no. Yeah, I know. You pointed that out to me, so I wouldn't, like, ah, damn it, what oh, was the thing? And the last story that I have that uh, Judith Haig 
also mentioned during this little interview she did. Uh, apparently, when she's being told the origin story and she's first waking up, she's like freaking out. She's like, why can't I dream of Harrison Ford? Uh, she's looking straight at Jim Henson, who his creature <laughs> company helped develop the animatics and everything. This is the last thing he worked on. He came to set that day when they do the introduction to April. Um, so she's sitting there and she looks up to see the line for the first time. And Jim Henson's just like, yeah, good choice. Like mm. she, she, she couldn't like handle having him look right at her. So, uh, I mean, I'd be intimidated by having Jim Henson look yeah. at me while I'm on the couch too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is one of the best films, I think. <laughs> Right. I mean, well, there's nostalgia fuel. Yeah. We doing I mean, letter grades? I mean, it's going to be an A for me, A plus for me. Yeah. Even without the nostalgia, I still think it's a well done, well crafted kids film. Yeah. Jimmy? Uh, I'm going to give it a A plus plus, just outdo this guy. Jesus. I gotta go C plus this time around. What? Wow, it's lower than what I was gonna. Yeah, that's like uh, I don't know. I feel like this blasphemy. You should be stoned. We'll wait till we get to the second one. It's probably gonna be high. Hope so. A lot of movies are higher than that. You've given C to like everything we've seen so far. Not true. Did you do A for Loose Cannons? I gave a B to Loose Cannons. What do you think, Jeff? B minus. He's but only he doesn't have the weight no. of nostalgia. It's, it's somewhere, somewhere in between everyone else's and Corey's. But yeah. you know, well, right. I don't have the nostalgia thing, but also like, just from a writing perspective, right? I'm like, it feels like the Teamsters wrote it. That's it's that's hard it. for me to take my writer's hat yeah. off when I watch this thing. Yeah. Right. Fun, fun personal fact: When I was in elementary school, I'd run around and cast all my friends as the turtles and other characters, and I started writing turtle sequels before there was even a third one so that's pretty um, good i think i did a little better than the michael bay ones but you'll have to ask some of our young friends so. see I'm, I'm very unforgiving even when it comes to kids movies because i'm like why does shredder have this criminal theft empire and then i realize <laughs> yeah. it's because he needs all those tvs for his lair oh jimmy <laughs> you know the the only thing the biggest thing he's stolen is cable <laughs> oh jimmy i think wait uh, the politically incorrect thing you were going to talk about maybe was um, when the Foot Clan show up. She says, "What am I late on my Sony payments?" Which is distinctly racist. Oh wow! I did not hear that. Yeah, I I just yeah. remembered that. Huh? That's just funny because all the boxes that they're fighting on are JVC products. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. So let's move on to the second thing we were going to. We also wanted to talk about two other films because they were, this is the thing. I was going to talk about the box office. Three movies in March were in the top 10 at the end of the year for box mm -hmm. office. Turtles was actually the fifth biggest film of the year, uh, domestically at least. Um, it made $135 million. These other two were the fourth and the sixth biggest films of the year. Wow. The first one we'll talk about had come out the week prior. Uh, it is a romantic comedy that pretty much made Julia Roberts' career. It also stars Richard Gere, Jason Alexander, Ralph Bellamy in his final film role. 
uh, Laura San Giacomo and Hector Elizondo. And uh, you'll know him from like The Princess Diaries if you're younger and stuff. Honestly, in every Gary Marshall movie. Yeah, he's like the the wise purveyor of knowledge, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it was Gary Marshall, one of his bigger films. I don't know what he'd done right before this, but because uh, I kind of skimped on working off the facts on these other two. But um, it was one of the biggest films uh, creatively in 1990. I tried to look up like who the other possibilities were for uh, Vivian and Lewis. Uh, it like every hot actor was thought of for Lewis. Like Alec Baldwin, you got like Val. Really? Because I saw uh, that Albert Brooks had yeah. passed on. I'm like, really? That's He's coming off of broadcast it's... news. So. Oh, yeah, 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 was that him? Oof. Isn't something big there? Yeah. Um, but like anyone that had made a good movie in the last five years was considered. So, uh, same for Vivian. Like Michelle Pfeiffer passed. They thought of Jennifer Connelly again, Winona Ryder, but they were deemed too young. Um, everybody was pretty much thought of. They, I think they offered it to someone and she turned it down. Meg Ryan, she was offered and she turned it down. That makes sense. Daniel Day Lewis was considered for yeah. uh, Sandra Bullock. Anyway. As as per usual with his track record, Burt Reynolds turned it down. Yeah, he just doesn't want to do it. Though he's quoted as saying later that he had want he saw the sex scenes with uh, Julia Roberts and he's like, that was one of my biggest mistakes. So, <laughs> all right, Burt. Honestly, not that salacious those sex scenes. Yeah, not that bad. Yeah. Because uh, I think she has a no so nudity, no nudity clause, so they're yeah, kind of team. I appreciate when movies kind of skip around it now. Uh, we used Hang to on. put this into sales that like you have to like not showcase the unsavory things and there's a way to do it that there's a nice balance that you're not just flashing everything well now you need like intimacy coaches on set yeah yeah but actually like... real quick i don't know if we actually said the title it's pretty woman oh yeah she is a pretty woman so oh, thanks my. thanks jeff right um because we're talking about this mystery movie that I think everyone should know. It's, but... it's Julia Roberts, the film. <laughs> right. Um, Aaron the Brockovich, was a lot, the early Julia years. Roberts, the origin story. <laughs> when, they, oh. when they pitched this movie, the script was a lot darker. Yeah, I was about to say that. Um, in fact, part of the deal of her being his girlfriend for the week was that she'd get off cocaine. Yeah, so... Uh, in an earlier draft. Yeah, that would have been a little sketchy. Yeah, um... So that I guess this has more of a fairy tale element to it than even though she's the hooker with the heart of gold in the earlier drafts, it was almost like a Paul Schrader movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I, think I actually that, like yeah, they, that they, aspect. They... It's a little weird at the ending when he like goes up the balcony and it's supposed to feel like Cinderella and everything. I, I like that part. Like they played like up it. the Cinderella bit yeah. and you know I, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, could this movie be done today? Mm. Like, they obviously they couldn't use the word hooker. Like they say that a lot. Like I figured they would have at least, he would have at least like been a little bit more sensitive about it. Also, it's Buena uh, Vista, which means it's Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so they definitely wouldn't do this well, today. Well, I also thought it was funny how like both two out of the three movies that we're talking about uh, were eventually turned into musicals there yeah. has yet to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja October Turtles musical but we'll get to that point Hunt for Red October is well, <laughs> <not> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, sorry. There was yeah, I know. We, we, we're trying to do two months at once, so we got anyway, five. We'll give away our sorry. secrets. We're going to change wardrobes between this. We're like Cher. I screwed everything up. Jimmy's still got the mask History on, is, uh, Oh, was I supposed to take this off? No, it's okay. <laughs> all right. Any- all today. I'm Raphael forever. <laughs> God. Um, but anyway. Yeah, so I'm like, could this movie get made today? And I don't know. Like, that's what do you guys think? It's I, odd because this is R-rated, but it's a soft R. Yeah, I think it could be done if just different things would happen. Like the hooker thing, I don't think is that big of a deal. I think I, they would gender swap it today. <clears throat> yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting, actually. I could yeah, see I a Channing, Channing Tatum, maybe. Yeah. yeah. In the male role. Has that been rumored, or are you just doing this off the top of your head? I'm just thinking because that Splash think, yeah, remake he's... was in the works for a couple of years with Channing Tatum as the merman. Hmm. So. Yeah, I actually like that, though. And then you'd have who was the... Uh, uh, you know, they try to no. make it funny, though, so they have, like, Kristen Wiig. Like Emma Stone or something. I think... Yeah. We'll make it full full circle as you just have uh, <coughs> Laura de, de Giacomo, whatever her or name, Giacomo. Kit, yeah, have Kit play the Richard Gere character. I mean, I'd love that. <laughs> like, it's Ooh. just, it's a spiritual sequel. Yeah, she she did make it. Uh, they passed yeah. down some money. Vivian kept touch with her. Right. Um, let's talk about uh, the actual movie. George Costanza. How sleazy is he? Oh, He's yeah. Terrific. Um, He's terrific. Yeah. So so sleaze. He was great. But I didn't realize uh, his wife was in the, Like, I didn't realize that woman was his wife until re-watching it this time. Like, I, oh. I had been thinking he was just an asshole single friend of uh, Richard Gere's. Uh, and he's he's got a wife, too. It's like a second... A second lady. layer of sleaze to him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and how much he's actually hitting on her. He's just like, yeah, maybe we can fuck sometime. <laughs> So, uh, very traumatized um because yeah. like you know the that, that montage scene is up there with one of the uh, iconic montages of the 90s oh yeah they parodied in um dumb and dumber they did didn't they? um i think actually and i'm not a huge julia roberts fan i think she is effervescent in this, this is probably one of her best roles it's generous of you Yes, and I know I, how much you hate her. So I really don't like her at all. Um, <laughs> I and Richard Gere is usually pretty much of a stiff, and he's a straight man in this, but uh, they exhibit really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Gary Marshall actually said uh, Richard Gere was trying to like come on too strong, and Gary Marshall's like, "Look, there are two mov- two moving parts in this. One is revolving around everywhere, and one of them stays motionless. Which one do you think you are?" Right. And uh, so there's this like. Exhibits like a Cary Grant kind of suaveness. Yeah. He just like watches her exude charm and get excited about things. And that makes it more romantic because it helps you fall in love with her too. Right. Yeah. It's weird because he could have played it very aloof Mm -hmm. with his stillness. But you can still tell that he's, uh, even for a rich magnate, he's he's very uh, magnanimous. <laughs> it was. It, I know it's you know supposed to be a Cinderella story, but I was getting a lot more My Fair Lady. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. This spending, this spending shopaholic montage, for right. instance. Yeah. The trans- it's almost like he's giving her finishing lessons, like 
like a modern day like she's all that did that later yeah and they the polo match they Very even go to the horse race at the end. That's part of my fair lady. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah the yeah the polo. Which is all which match. is all basically an offshoot of Pygmalion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of Pygmalion. I wonder. Uh, I I didn't see that in the trivia, but I assume a lot of people have also felt that way. Right. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> probably repopularized that Roy Orbison song. Yes. Yeah. It shot to the top of the charts again. Right. Um, I actually really liked this time around the Ralph Bellamy stuff. He's the executive that Richard Gere is trying to sway to partner with them. Like they're going to absorb his company. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic because he, you get all these hints that he uh, hates how his father treated him. And there's that handshake at the end where they understand each other. And Ralph Bellamy, Bellamy knew his father. So he knows this is kind of like, I'm approving of you, son. There is something you did well. You would honor your father if he were still alive, you know? Uh, it's it's kind of a nice touch, and it gives a different aspect to this film that isn't just, like, a romantic comedy. Uh, I don't know. I just liked all those things. And it's not, like, heavy on one side or the other. Julia Roberts is brought to the discussions, and there's some cute stuff with, like, how she deals with the, the silverware and everything and brings her own ketchup and stuff, so... Uh, it was it was cute, but it was also the serious stuff wasn't too heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Like she's not dealing with the cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Even the scene where she rejects um, Jason Alexander could have gone a lot differently, especially in somebody who wasn't as. I think his stature helps that he's it makes him more weaselly. If he was a bigger guy and wasn't as diminutive, you might have feared for her life. Yeah, I mean, I um, anyway, but I'm surprised Gear didn't throw him off the balcony, <laughs> just like murder. Oh yeah, right. I mean, well, throw him into a garbage truck like, like Shredder. Right. Yeah. It seemed like he was about to, and then like you, you could see like he's about to throw him through the wall, and then realized, wait, no, this is a set piece, and then, <laughs> <laughs> like there's a little bit of hesitation there. He got like way too into it, and it was great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I kept looking over at Jimmy throughout the film. He was he was grinning ear to ear. Was oh yeah, no, it was good. It was like unusually charming. Yeah, I don't and think it's the best, but I think yeah, it's no, it was no. great. Yeah, it was. Uh, like, I mean, like it came out when I was a kid, so like I had no ambition to see a rom a romantic movie because like I was a boy. Jimmy has enough romance in his life. He doesn't. It's need true. To yeah, no, like it's all it's all ninjas and Power Rangers and like. I mean, look at this two shot right now. Speaking of romance. Yeah. Wow. Like, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I this was the first time I'd seen the movie. Ah. So I'm like at a point where I can actually oh, yeah. appreciate romantic comedies. Sure. And like the the themes and you know, through lines here, which we got to talk about the through line between all these movies anyway. But um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Um, what would you and get letter grade? Oh, we're into letter grades already? I thought yeah, we were going like... to much else to talk about, really. And the, the main yeah. focus was Turtles, so. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to talk about the fact that Richard Gere composed that piece that he played in the... Pe- what? In, yeah, in the oh, ballroom wow. when he's actually playing the piano and he wrote that piece. No way, that's this so is a piece cool. of trivia I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. The fact. I'm glad you did some research because right. Did. And also, I'm pretty sure the, uh, you know, 
that scene where he's walking barefoot in the park is probably what you know spurred his Buddhist following. Starting there. Oh yeah, yeah. that was the. Moment. I don't know when he met the. That was it. No, I don't know. I have no idea. But um. But yeah, no, the piano thing's true. Um, so cool. But and also that <laughs> necklace that she wore to the opera mm-hmm. was actually that much money dollars. Yeah, and there was constantly like a security guard from the jewelry store standing behind Gary Marshall with a gun. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> they were filming with it. <laughs> Gary Marshall could have died. Honestly, him. probably one of Gary Marshall's best directed movies. Probably, yeah. I, I would probably give it a B. I would give it a B as well. I mean, this one I'm going to give an A minus. Uh, yeah. uh, I give it an A. Nice. Yeah, because like, like I also yeah. I also really like the theme too, like uh-huh. the the play the it's it's one of the better, um, you know, musical themes from a romantic comedy that I can remember. Um, but it's yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It's a movie that definitely lives or dies on the casting. Yeah, definitely. But uh, which is weird because then they reunited for Runaway Bride, which we'll talk about way down the line. But yeah, I, uh, not nearly as good. Not nearly. Um, I liked it. I actually saw it first. I only saw Pretty Woman about five years ago for the first time. Okay. Weirdly enough, I've seen it like four times since. You love it. Been on TV and I actually enjoyed it. So, and then I had to show Jimmy. So. Uh, apparently, Gear's been a Buddhist since like '78 or so. He's oh. been into this for a while, so he could have put that into the aspect of his acting. Um, so, yeah, what's the last movie we <clears throat> want to talk about here? So, earlier in the month, there was a big film that uh, showcased what I had thought I remembered to be a lot of action, but it is a little bit of a slow-paced spoiler. Uh, based on the novel, The Hunt for Red October. It is the same title. Uh, it stars Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan. And this is <clears throat> a uh, showcase for this series that Jack Ryan's in. It's a young version. Like he, he would go on to become like defense secretary and president, I think, in the novels. But this is like earlier in his career, so he's kind of wet behind the ears. They don't. Strangely, though, by this point, since this is the first movie we're introduced (laughs) to him, he's already got a wife and kid. Yeah, barely. Gates McFadden has like one line. Um, But the the whole premise is that they notice that there's some shifting in the Russian Navy. It takes place in 1984. um, And there's this this general, this famed general of the uh, military that um, Sean Connery plays and he decides he wants to defect. And he goes about it very calmly, so not to arouse suspicion. And, we're not sure though. Right, we're not totally sure. We know as an audience, because he kind of says it towards the beginning, um, that at least he wants to defect, and there are a team of uh, commanders under his leadership that want to defect with him, uh, including one played by Sam Neill. And... Uh, Jack Ryan kind of figures out that this might be the case because of the date that it's happening on is 
the one year anniversary of his wife's death. And knowing what was happening in Russia, they could put two and two together and assume possibly that he's bitter about what has happened to his life and wants to defect because of that. And it would be a good fuck you to steal their big new shit, new sub that has this new technology, this caterpillar um, drive. Caterpillar drive. Drive. Caterpillar yeah. drive. Which, which is totally allows made up. the sub to run. Dude, not oh, really. No, no, no. <laughs> totally made up. Yes. They're totally, real. totally made up. Because at the beginning of the movie, it clearly states an incident that happened in 1984. It may or may not have happened. Yeah, it may, it may have never happened. happened. You see. Yeah, yeah. They can't reveal all the facts, but maybe. Yeah, just and I, maybe. I no. bet even if this wasn't real and the, the novel didn't date from real events, I could see them seeing the caterpillar drive and be like, can we make that? Can we like, is that possible? That? Is that a thing that we yeah. do? Is that is that <clears throat> something that's still hush-hush? Yeah. Um, so he goes to his superior, played by James Earl Jones, and, and tells him that this is a possibility. And James Earl Jones brings him to the... the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and they they're like, "You're the guy. Go, go find it." <laughs> so, uh, so he. I. This is a thing I like about the movie. You liked this in something like Bridge of Spies, where there's like a little tick. He keeps muttering to himself, like, "I could have just done this in a memo. I could have." Yeah, I, I was gonna say Jack Ryan to me, <laughs> um, which differentiates him from the other uh, spies in the espionage genre. He's always the reluctant hero. Yeah. He's always thrust into circumstances that are well beyond his capabilities, above his pay grade. Um, every time he, even in the, like, Some of All Fears, which might be my favorite Jack Ryan movie, come to think of it. Interesting. It's the only um, other one I've seen. He, uh, again, he's not necessarily the action hero. And like you said, you thought this was more action-oriented. It's, it's much more of um, a psychological uh, chess game between the mm-hmm. uh, American Navy and the Russian fleet. Which um, you and I were talking about, it's a little slow. It takes his time getting It's very story. leisurely. I like Sean Connery's performance the most, uh, but I agree it takes a bit too long to get there. Like you just want him to get into this cat and mouse game and there's well, a lot of moving pieces. Well, the kind of the way that his pace kind of like, it feels like to me like it works out because like it starts off slow they're slowly getting the information and then you get an aha moment, but they're like, wait, no, hold up. We need to go look further into this. And just as they figure it out, all of a sudden it happened. Shit like, hits the fan. Shit hits the fan. Like it's perpetually like, as it's getting worse, like you notice like those bits happen quicker. Yeah. Like, cause he's getting closer and closer and closer to the climax or the deadline or whatever. So like the pacing and like, uh, yeah, it's like, not until like the yeah. kind of builds yeah. into it. It's yeah. not until the 40-minute mark. It's like yeah. an aha moment. Yeah, I do admire that, actually. And it's it, not until the 40-minute mark where they give him the uh, three days deadline. Yeah. Yeah. But – By that point, you're, you're, you're invested. But they, uh, John McTiernan did something smart with this movie, uh, mm-hmm. which, he's, which he also did – I pointed this out to you uh, before. He, yeah, he did uh, in um, 13th Warrior, which is – at one point in the conversation with the political officer, it goes from being subtitled to English, and it's a subtle transition. Mm-hmm. And it could be seen as pandering, but I think it actually makes the threat more universal. And it do- you don't have to suffer through um, Sean Connery trying to do a Soviet accent. 
the whole and movie. Subtitled the whole time, but they at least appreciate that these people are not English. Right, like in K-19, yeah. when you're watching K-19, you're like, <laughs> Liam Neeson, Harrison Ford playing Russians? I don't know. Yeah, and they Actors never speak Don't Russian. quite fit. Yeah. But um, um, Sam Neill is very good. Actually, um, I forgot Tim Curry was in it until I oh, realized. Yeah. Right. Oh, he was a red herring. A rare good character. Right. Tim Curry. I thought, thought, thought Tim Curry was like the spy or the traitor on board. Yeah, Usually sure. would be. Right. But like, no, no, he just, just was just a happy-go-lucky idiot that loved the Soviet Union. He was the villain in another naval film, though. Which one? Mikhail's Navy. Oh, right, Jesus. Right. <clears throat> um, this is like, for me, this is like a trial run for those Tom Clancy adaptations. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a little overrated, though. I, I think they got the pacing the better with um, the next two with Harrison Ford, ironically enough. Did you know that they uh, tried to offer to Harrison Ford and he like kind of turned it down at first and so they went with their second choice, Alec Baldwin, and he was cheaper anyway? Or they couldn't afford him, maybe. I, I can't remember. Um, but then Alec Baldwin becoming popular was like, well, I'd like more money for the sequel. And they're like, with that kind of money, we can get Harrison Ford. So they did. Right. <laughs> so that's why Harrison actually worked Ford. out I think I've heard so I need to see these two films and hopefully we will for this podcast but this yeah. is the one I've seen before uh, and I, like I said I've seen some of all fears have you seen all the Jack Ryan movies I, I actually don't know <laughs> it's funny actually Kevin Costner was also considered for Jack Ryan and he turned it down to go do Dances with Wolves uh. um, which is funny because he comes back as like the James Earl Jones character kind of in Shadow Recruit right yeah uh, so that's kind of interesting. So he ended up being in Jack Ryan, just not as him. It's weird because <laughs> we were talking about how uh, the Turtles do a good job of um, giving like succinct, uh, succinct origin story to each of the characters. In this, it they don't quite spoon feed you as to the relationship between everybody. Like I him think- and Cabot have a long running relationship in the book series. And this is just, you have to kind of assume that. Which is good, yeah. I like when movies just let you understand relationships. Although they do, in a way, they do lay things out for the layman, like the Caterpillar Drive conversation with uh, Jeffrey Jones, because they're talking a lot of technical jargon. And he's like, yeah. are you following what I'm saying? He's like, not exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I love, there was something I watched recently that wasn't this, and they were like explaining something, and they're like... You know I'm a scientist as well. I know what you're talking about, but please do go <laughs> right. on. It's like yes. I hate, I hate kind of hate when that happens. But yeah. like they didn't do that with Jeffrey Jones. He like is able to just explain it because he knows better, and you right. trust that. <clears throat> they say he's the expert without sure. him saying it himself. Yeah. So. Um, and Yonda Bont's uh, cinematography is great. There's a lot of lens flare, but not to the point of like J.J. Abrams' overload. Yeah, I didn't notice this until I was reading it, but they they made a point of having the subs monochromatically one color each. So you know which sub they're on now, or boat, like Scott Glenn's ship searching for him uh, is, I think, red. And then even if it's red hued without like just being red, the red itself is blue all the time. I forget exactly which it is. I know I'm saying it wrong, but like then, then you can tell like when we're seeing Stellan Skarsgård up close, it's not somewhere else in the Red October. 
you know. Um, that actually, I like. I noticed this this time when they're with Stellan Skarsgård on that other sub, they kind of only focus on him and go around him almost like a fisheye lens. Yeah, so it also feels like tighter, like maybe the sub that he's in is maybe smaller. Yeah. So like, it feels like a different well, sub too. Well, you see that shootout later. This this sub is like an aircraft carrier size, which I don't, is that even possible? Yeah, no, Okay. subs, I, can, subs can get pretty big. Okay. Uh, well, they talk about this one being the biggest in the fleet. Yeah. yeah. Early on. I mean, maybe, maybe not aircraft uh, carrier size, but like big, like pretty, Pretty damn big. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's some. There's some beastly submarines out there. It's like, if you look it up, you'll be like, they made them that big. Yeah. I do. You I can hide that much this. underwater. Yeah. Like, I mean, the ocean's large too. Yeah, and all that, but like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. I I like this for all the technicalities that they put into it. Um, like the the referential trenches that they're going through the passes that, oh, yeah. that whole sequence where the guy's navigating to test because sean connery has to put up the facade that they're just testing um so he's playing along and he almost doesn't care yeah and that's he's like fucking with his crew members just to see if the ship could do what it is meant to we're do we're doing war games yeah whatever <laughs> um Here's a fun fact. Claus Maria Brandauer, who was the supporting actor nominee for Out of Africa, he was originally cast as Ramius. Hmm. Uh, so it was more of a Das Boot type feel. Uh, das Boot's fantastic. Especially with McTiernan, like, probably being a fan of that, trying to cast, like, more actual people that could do a Russian accent. Um, but he dropped out for uh, scheduling reasons. Hmm. And so he uh, got, he even filmed a bit, so that's that jacked up the budget, but he suggest, suggested Sean Connery, and Sean Connery actually turned it down at first because he's like, this wouldn't make sense. The Navy is no longer impressive with the USSR, and he had been faxed the script, and they lost the first page where it says, this is 1984, when the Navy is still pretty good. Oh, yeah. So he like he like didn't get the whole movie because he's missing the first page. And like, like his, You're like, saying that. There's a bond connection between those two. Just like, yeah. What's the what's the bond connection? Um, Klaus Maria Brandauer was the villain in Never Say Never Again. Yeah, we Sean Connery a few years ago. That's yeah. why he. Knows so maybe him. that's why he suggested it. That is why. Yeah. Um, the funniest part of this, there's this story about how his toupee cost twenty thousand dollars. It looks good. Here's the reason. He came to set and decided that he wanted his hair to be tied back into a ponytail. That's like how Medicine Man? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, that's what he wanted. So he insisted on this. He had the hair and makeup people do this. They, everyone's like, no, Sean, please don't do that. He's like, Nobody oh. in the Navy would have their hair like that. Especially the Russian Navy? Yeah, no. Um, it's like, I so, want to feel fancy. Yeah, so he goes and he films like key scenes. I don't know which one. I'm assuming like the big speech in the beginning, maybe. And he he's doing this, and they like the Jen DeBomb's like laughing at the dailies. He's like, I can't handle this. We cannot go on with this. And they started making fun of him. The whole crew's like calling him names and stuff. And it got to a point where he's like, Fine, fine, we'll cut the we'll cut the tail. And and they go back, and they had to reshoot everything. So that's why it's twenty thousand dollars. Right. What a what a what a jerk. <laughs> He's so good in it, though. I think this... He's very good. I, uh, this very is well cast. 
I don't know what my favorite Sean Connery film is because if you're including the Bond films, it's going to be one of them probably. Uh, the Untouchables is up there. Yeah, and I, I saw that much later, very recently. I saw Hunt for Red October when I was like 10. Uh, now, now, we should say just been oddly silent. I'm assuming he didn't see it. I missed the memo on that one. I, I told him because we <laughs> I, had about five films in like a week not to worry about this. So I apologize right. for all the spoilers for you. I, I um, was, no, that's fine. I'd seen it. I just oh. don't remember any of it. So oh, like it wasn't technically a spoiler. I just don't have any relevant commentary. Well, do you remember liking it? Because this is the I remember liking it. I was just like, hey, Sean Connery and subs and subs. <laughs> I mean, I don't know as much of the the mythology and the book series and everything, but it was, I remember enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I'm just listening to you guys recount the tale of the film because I did not watch that one this time. And I. What would you have given it if you barely remember? (laughs) From what I remember, a solid B. Yeah. I would go B minus. I think the pacing needed to be tightened up a little bit. A little tauter, and it would have been superb. Yeah, I still think it's a B plus though. It's a very solid film. I agree with the slow pacing, but I enjoy it because I like that kind of film. And there's a lot of things that make Alec Baldwin's Jack Ryan, I still think, the best. I haven't seen those Harrison Ford ones, so I don't know yet. But And you've never seen the TV series. Yeah, and, and I haven't seen the uh, Chris Pine one. Hmm. Not that everyone seems to forget that that happened. It's not very good. I mean, Jack Ryan, the TV show, also feels like they're just doing Homeland 24 again. Because I, sure. I think it's those showrunners, too. I don't yeah. remember. But, um, it's, it's a trend. It's the modern it's one. And that's, that's actually where the novels kind of go anyway. They, because of what was happening in real life, he started going towards the Middle East. So these 80s Cold War films, I think, are more interesting. And in the, in the novels, to me. But that's neither here nor there. Here's a fun fact, because McTiernan did Die Hard. He, uh, he used the same teddy bear that uh, McLean has as the teddy bear that's in the plane at the end. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Is there any teddy bear in Predator? <laughs> yeah. Get this out of here. I can't do it. I'm not going to do accents anymore. So what grade would you give it, Jimmy? A. I mean, he loves, I like, yeah, he loves these kind of movies. I love these kinds of movies. This, yeah. might, this is my jam. Even, even if it's like even if it's like <laughs> moderately bad, I'll be like, ah, I still enjoyed it. Can we do another segment one day where Jimmy just analyzes and rates the the military tech in the movies that we watch? Oh no, yes, no. This no. would go on for another half hour. No, no. <laughs> like it only seems likely to you guys because I'm only spewing out the bits that I know. I like I don't know everything, so like. So I I briefly the, oh, sorry I well, I, was just, I was just gonna say like you know. Just limited knowledge. Made it <laughs> like I admit. Everyone like yeah, sure. I nerd out a bit with it when it comes to that stuff. You're more into but, like uh, guns specifically. So if there's well, a movie like uh, Ghost in the Darkness, you can tell well, us well, the history of that. Well, if it's a sort of war, he'd had so much to like Zulu. You were telling me about like, this stuff. Yeah, and it's like a just I don't know. It's just weird, like because like nobody thinks about like the utility of a uniform and like how like how it works, like. There was like a ergonomics to it, so like placement was important for certain pockets and things. So yeah. like, so like if it's a historical uh, war film, like 
you kind of dig think that of, too. Uh, like, his brass, Sean Connery. Is that accurate? His brass? Yeah. It was very impressive. <laughs> what did you think of Alec Bowman's chest hair? Speaking of it, it was very impressive. No, turn that around, Fred Thompson. It looked like a Brillo pad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we could just do it like Poster Boy, but just Jimmy analyzing screenshots of. Speaking of Poster Boy, we're going to go into that. I want to talk about the box office role. So, um, so the uh, Hunt for Red October debuted with seventeen million dollars, which was pretty good. I mentioned earlier about TMNT, but it finished with one hundred twenty million, so that's sixth best for the year. Um, it number two was still driving Miss Daisy that stuck around throughout like May. It was like movies back then just lasted forever. They're gonna <laughs> now too. Nintendo will be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a different. They're unprecedented times. Um, the <clears throat> it stayed number one until Pretty Woman knocked it out the next in two weeks uh, with eleven million dollars. I mean, that was a tough act to follow. Yeah. Um, nothing really came out between that was going to challenge it. Um, Pretty Woman ended with $178 million domestic, which puts it in fourth place for the year. <clears throat> it, um, it was number one that week. And then the next week, TMNT came in first. Like I mentioned, it's the biggest March opening of all time at that point. Um, Pretty Woman actually made more money in its second weekend that same weekend with 12 million so it actually moved up and would later by may they they stayed in the top two through april and then the last week of april they swapped again pretty woman stayed in first until end of may and do you want to know what unseated it hmm. the top two changed to bird on a wire and cadillac man the judith haig movie she, she did with ron williams wow. <laughs> so these two, she was in two movies in the top four at that point. Um, and she was never heard from again. I was, she did nothing else. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get into our favorite segment, Poster Boy. I'm gonna I'm gonna share the screen now. Mm. So remember, you you have to describe what you're seeing, Jeff. Okay. For the listeners. I'm not going to look in case you accidentally have a file name up. Okay. No, no don't worry. I've done it. What is this? Episode okay. three. I just do episode three and four. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm looking at, looks like Rutger Hauer dressed as Dick Van Dyke on vacation. <laughs> um, There's no ottoman for him to fall over now. He's spinning a katana and slicing the guns of everyone who's pointing them at him. It's like there's a there's a Mexican standoff and he brought a knife to a gunfight and won. So here's an aspect I want to know about this. What is he wearing specifically? He's wearing a red button-down shirt, gray pants, and a fishing vest. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm guessing has something to do with the plot. Why do you think he looks so cool, though? Because you're hinting. He's like <laughs> trying to like. No, I I don't. He's I, leading the witness, sir. <laughs> okay. I think he's like he's. Is Rutger Hauer's got got one last point to make before he enters retirement? Okay. Just goes fishing. Why does he look older in this poster, by the way, than he does ten years from then? 
I don't yeah, know, time travel? Movie. Um, Looks like okay. an old poster. Um, okay, so do I need to get the name now? Yeah, try this, and then I'll show you this tagline. Gone Fishing. Okay, that is a movie that comes later with Jimmy Glover and Joe Yeah, the, we'll have to talk about that sometime. Um, All right, hang so on, hang here's, on. Here's the uh, tagline. He's going to okay. give it away, though. I mean, you kind of left the title do, down do want, there. Do you want me to keep going? I haven't, I haven't looked at the title. So okay. I'm, I'm literally, yeah. I didn't look at the credits or anything. Well, I got I to gotta look at, yeah, I got to do the credits sometimes. <laughs> so. He may be blind, but he don't need no dog. Oh, God, I oh, forgot my. that was the tagline. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. what? <laughs> You're the man now, Seeing, dog. Uh, is this like a pre, like, proto daredevil? <laughs> Actually, He's not he, far off, you know. Yeah. Um, what do you I think just, the plot is? The the plot is a blind man just wants to go on vacation and keeps getting assaulted by cartel members who keep ruining his fishing trip. And he's just, you know what, I got this katana for, for cleaning and gutting fish and I'm just going to use it on y'all. For and some really big fish. Just well, uh, ac- yeah. action, action hijinks ensue. I honestly, this is. What I, would you call it? I'd call it. Hang on. Seeing eye. I don't know. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Eye of the beholder. Ooh, that is also a movie later. Actually, I think it's oh. two thousand. Uh, all right, I'll give it. Blind to you. fury. It's down there. What? No, I swear to God, I didn't look at it. It's down there. I swear to God, I did not look at it. I got it. it. Holy shit. There's video proof. (laughs) I actually, wow. Okay. That's nice. Good timing that I didn't do it right before you said it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Blind Fury. Uh, I have not seen this, but Corey, again, I assume has. I have. So what what is actually the plot? (laughs) All right, so Rugger Hauer plays a Vietnam vet who loses his sight in the war. Um, when he comes back to uh, the States years later, uh, he goes to meet one of his Army buddies, Terry O'Quinn, who's been kidnapped. And uh, him and Terry O'Quinn's son go on a cross-country trip to find out why he was kidnapped. Hmm. And uh, along the way, uh, hijinks ensue from the kidnappers. And it's actually an American remake of the Zatoichi Blind Swordsman movies. Really? Yes. Do you like oh. it? Because this sounds great to me. Um, it's very tongue in cheek. Fine, I like you. So You're that okay with that? Sounds and fantastic. The, I the child sidekick is not a great actor, so he kind of takes the shine off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, Rugger Howard's really good. Yeah. Uh, the 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 choreography is really well done. So yeah, it's a fu- it's a fun film. Okay, I gotta we gotta add this to our uh, Netflix or something. So, um, that's, that sounds good. We're gonna if we do, we gotta see a real samurai, samurai flick before or after it. Just sure. balance it out. Well, don't you have Zatoichi? I may have a Zatoichi movie or like the guy that plays Zatoichi in another movie. <laughs> So I have like a weird collection. Or yeah, two I think that I came think in like something over here. Yeah, I have something over there. Yeah, there's something. So anyway, um, I guess we we don't necessarily have to wrap this up, but there are a couple other films that came out. I don't know if you want to highlight them, Corey. Yeah, there's uh, 
actually a lot came out for March, but I'll, I'll condense it down to a, a few. Um, the Handmaid's Tale, uh, there was a film adaptation. There was also a film adaptation of Lord of the Flies, two books that I'm assuming all of us had to read in high school yeah. or college. Yeah. Um, and uh, House Party came out, the kid and play film. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fun film. Uh, one of one of the uh, several Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan collaborations, uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Is this the first one they do? Was Sleepless in Seattle before or after this? Ninety four. We're definitely talking about. Okay, that. so this is the first. Yeah. So is that then Sleepless? Then they do You've Got Mail. There's only three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's he's an Ithaca in a cameo, so technically, yeah, she directed it. They're friends still or whatever. Yeah. Um, I almost wanted to do this, but with those three massive films, we had to pare it down a little bit because right. I was excited I've never seen this one. And it's a really good movie. Yeah, so maybe we can add that too to the list to watch. Um, there was also uh, The Forbidden Dance, which oh, was canon trying to capitalize on the Lombada craze. Which is funny because it comes out, this is what comes out in between Hunt for Red October and Pretty Woman. Two movies about Lombada, both The Forbidden Dance and one called It was called a huge Lombada. dance back then. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if um, you remember this, Jeff, but with our drunken, hazy days, that was one of our uh, bad movie nights. Really? Yeah, we, we all watched Lombada. Really? Yeah. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we, I, I remember cool. it being horrible. That might have been Vase Night. It was definitely one of the... It was not the Vase Night, but it was... I'm pretty sure the Vase Night was anyway. the Dog Night. Yeah, that's and, um, Yeah, there was a uh, bad influence with uh, James Spader and Rob Lowe, which kind of got a little overshadowed by the sex tape with Rob Lowe. And we'll girl. talk about in a minute the Oscar dance that he did with Snow White. Right, which is before. deemed one of the worst Oscar moments of all time. Yeah, apparently. Watch on YouTube, you'll see why. Careers. Yeah. In fact. Uh, Rob Lowe was recently on Joe Rogan talking about, and he said that he saw director Barry Levinson in the audience mouth <laughs> as it happened. Um, Shock to the System, which is a black comedy with uh, Michael Caine killing the competition in his law firm. Uh, it's a good movie. Sounds great. It's really um, interesting kind of premise. Like he, he's just going home and he's angry one day and then an itinerant guy is on the trains platform and he like accidentally pushes him and he gets a thrill out of killing someone yeah so um very there's uh opportunity knocks which is a starring vehicle for dana carvey playing a grifter uh it's a mediocre movie but if you're if you're really into dana carvey doing um shtick and a last stream of consciousness impressions you'll like it of course they're dated now so there's a lot of George Bush. A lot of his SNL impersonations get intermelded into the movie. Um, there's Blue Steel, which is Catherine Bigelow's um, crime thriller about uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays a uh, cop who's a rookie on the force who's going after um, a serial killer played by Ron Silver, who she had, happens to be romantically involved with. And uh, there was one that we were actually debating on whether being 
it was going to be in poster boy, but the poster was a little too obvious, which was nuns on the run. A uh, Jonathan Lynn directed film with uh, Robbie Coltrane and Eric Idle. And they're just, it's a one joke premise. They're uh, on the lamb and they're dressed as nuns. That's the premise. That's the joke. Yep. And, uh, um, that was about it. So I wanted to briefly talk about, because I did the Grammys last episode, uh, this month brings us the Oscars from 89. And there's not too much to talk about, but uh, I can bring you the brief, like, hot points or whatever. I, would, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, we just mentioned Billy Crystal was almost in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He hosts for the first time this 62nd Academy Awards. Um, it's, it was the idea of the president to make up for Ro Rob Lowe's debacle. They wanted something fresh, easy, breezy, you know, like gonna take care of the audience, kind of like an old Bob Hope mentality. Uh, and then he ended up doing it like eight more times, I think. He's so, probably the most prolific Oscar host. After Bob Hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bob Hope did it like 30 times and he did it nine. Yeah. Um, but he, he was always good throughout the 90s and then he had an ill-advised 2012 mm. uh, Oscar hosting. So uh, let me see if you guys have seen these films. These are the five Best Picture nominees. Born on the Fourth of July, which also won Oliver Stone Best Director. Uh, Dead Poet Society, the Robin Williams uh, teacher film. Field of Dreams, uh, Kevin Costner, um, where he builds that field in Iowa. In fact, this month was supposed to see the Yankees play the White Sox there, which would have been the first time professional baseball would have ever been played in Iowa. They had to scrap it, of course, for every, like everything else. Um, My Left Foot, which is about Christy Brown. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis won Best Actor for the first time of his three Best Actor awards. Uh, and Brenda Fricker won Best Supporting Actress. Uh, and then the fifth film, which won, was Driving Miss Daisy. So... I've seen Daisy and Did Poets Society and Field of Dreams. Whereas James, whereas Jimmy calls it the help. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I thought you guys were talking about when you're talking about the help because I was half paying attention. I was like, is that no? I've seen Driving Miss uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Eh, Driving Miss Davy. Daisy. <laughs> I can get it someday. I could screech. Driving Ozzy Davis. That and um, Field of Dreams, and I'm not entirely sure with. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July, or my no, I think <laughs> I think Born on the Fourth of July. I might have seen chunks of, but never from beginning to end. So I won't it's, count it. It's the next one I gotta yeah. watch in my Oliver Stone collection. So I'm gonna watch it soon. Uh, the other one I didn't mention, supporting actor, was Denzel Washington's first award uh, for Glory, which also just came back to Netflix. Mm. I would recommend seeing if you haven't. It's very good. Stellar um, movie. The screenplays went to Dead Poets Society and Driving Miss Daisy. Foreign film I only bring up because I actually just saw it on a drive-in with uh, Rebecca, the uh, Cinema Paradiso. Ah. Uh, very good film. It's a love letter to making, uh, to, to playing films, to being like the projectionist. To exhibiting films. Yeah. Um, how they transport us to another place and time and everything. Very, very nice movie. Um, You'll all like this. Akira Kurosawa got the honorary award that year. 
Uh, and the big thing was Driving Miss Daisy won four awards, Glory won three, Little Mermaid won two, uh, and also great genre films, The, uh, the Abyss, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's your, they almost had Harrison Ford and Sean Connery reunite the next mm -hmm. year for Red October. Right. Um, and then Batman got a, a technical award as well. So Last here's Crusade's your, the here's your Oscars 1990. Cool. Oh, picks of the month. You guys want to do that as we uh, close out? Sure. Uh, my pick of the month would probably be uh, Bad Education. I finally caught up with it. Hmm. It's a huge uh, film. Yeah. Uh, HBO premiere film, which uh, I think played at a few film festivals. It has, uh, it has a very election feel, but it's not as risque as election. But um, honestly, one of Hugh Jackman's best performances, which is saying a lot. Um, but yeah, the satirical aspects of it are really on point. Uh, it was great. Probably my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. It's pretty good. Do you have anything, Jimmy? For the month? Yeah, you pretty much watched these movies we did for Oh, yeah. The uh, I'm going to have to go with like, Miami Blues. The one... I don't know if that was. We're the... gonna be talking about that next month. So. Damn it, Jimmy! Like, but if that's your favorite pick. Like, we'll that, talk we can, about it. Like next legitimately, well, we could talk about it next month. But I'm just saying, like, surprisingly good movie. Like, caught me off my, caught me off guard, and I was expecting something else. Yeah. And like, I'm you know, very excited to hear his thoughts on this. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what do you have? Uh, well. I finally bit the bullet and got HBO Max, so I've been uh, obsessed with Westworld the oh, last yeah. week or so. Season one. So <laughs> I'm I'm not quite done with season one, and if you spoil anything, I will murder you. One is wonderful. Season two drags like a comb. Hey, there's four seasons so uh, far. There's only three so far. I just finished okay. three because that came out like the day everything shut down in America. Um, I cool. love it. I hate to love it because it's just so slow. Yeah, it, it, it like didn't know probably would have been better as a one one season. So perfect that first season. So all right, well, I'll enjoy it then. Yeah, I will what talk about you, about, Tristan. I will talk about that with you later. Um, yes, I would like to say this is actually something I watched with Jeff. Uh, this movie that we had meant to see like ten years ago. It won the best foreign film at the Oscars in 2010. It's called Departures. And uh, I didn't look up all the actors or anything, but it was from Japan. And it's about a man who is a cellist in an orchestra that ends up losing its funding. So he goes back to his hometown and he and his girlfriend are just like, I, I don't know what to do. Just look for a job. I'll look for something. And he finds in the paper, um, Departures. And he's like, okay, what is this? Like, you're leading people to where they're going? Like, is it a tour guide or something? Like a travel agent. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Uh, so he goes, and it's kind of like awkward comedy at first, but it's about being a funeral director, which was kind of taboo until very recently in Japan. They often would have the funerals inside the home, only the family. No one would ever take care of the body or anything. You would, like, bury them yourself, I think. I didn't Yeah, actually, like, you showed up, you... you you cleaned and dressed them like in front of the family, which right. is gotta be like 
one of the most nerve-wracking experiences on the planet i imagine yeah so this is this is what he ends up learning how to do from an older funeral director and it's like weirdly the community hates them for doing this because it's yeah, they're, they're touching dead people uh, it's it's a weird it's a cultural thing in japan like uh they, they're they're contaminated by like one aspect is they're uh, contaminated by death like they're, they're they uh they're like you know uh, they caught the dead yeah pretty much uh so like they're associated with the dead and like that's you know not not good uh not good vibes not good chi not good yeah. you know function whatever you want to think of like and their concept like it's just like you're, you're dealing with death like yeah. why yeah yeah uh, so like that's taboo and so much so that like uh people who are uh they're, they're families that are generationally stuck or have been generationally stuck mm -hmm. as a like funeral funeral uh directors or like provide like service providers because like the the job was the same for nk agent it's actually uh, so uh, funny you mention that because they they actually do the same kind of thing that they do in Pretty Woman, where Richard Gere's father is kind of absent for him. This guy who becomes a funeral director, he's like our age, and the older funeral director fills in for his absent father. His father left him when he was like ten, and so he discovers like a way to cope with that by becoming a funeral director himself and learning from this man who was his father's age. So yeah. I mean, we could honestly do a whole podcast on this movie. Well, it's, it's an incredible film. Yeah, uh, it's great. Beautiful cinematography, um, poignant story. I loved it. So very worthwhile. I and it was also out. The, the reason we wanted to watch it ten years ago was because we were like halfway through Six Feet Under, and mm -hmm. so it was very like in the along the same vein. Thematic, yeah. So. Uh, um, definitely recommend. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, cool. But yeah, next month we're gonna be talking about Miami Blues, like Jimmy previewed, uh, and Cry Baby, Johnny Depp. Oh, Jimmy. that was for next month, because I watched that instead of Hunt for Red October. <laughs> we, I'd say we're compacting. We're not telling anybody, but we're gonna change our shirts. Oh. Yeah. Fine. All right. You can cut this out later. Snip, we'll snip. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Um. Yes. We have Comment below. We have a Twitter. We have our podcast website. We uh. We have a Facebook page. Oh, we have too many things. Yeah. I don't know. We're not even popular I'll do, yet. I'll do better next. We're never gonna be popular. We uh. Maybe we'll start a Patreon at some point. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sure. Uh. We will see you next time.